Good morning, Third Street. Good morning. Good morning. It is great to be with you in the presence of the Lord. If you don't know me, my name is Corey. I'm the lead pastor here at Third Street Community Church, and it is my distinct honor and privilege to be the one that's up here bringing to you the word of the Lord this morning. Uh, If you've been with us, you already know how this part goes. If you haven't, let me get you hip. Uh, We've been in this series. This is week four. This is also the climax. This is also the conclusion of a series that we call Move the Needle. If you've been here with me, I need you to help me out this morning. Can you say, Move the Needle? needle. I need you to say it like God put breath in your lungs. Say, Move the Needle. Right, because I've been getting a lot of questions. You know, it's that time of year. You know, people are re-upping on commitments. People are trying to figure out, like, their life rhythms heading into the fall. It's back to school. It's back to work. It's all these other things. And I've been getting a lot of questions like, where are we going? Right. What are we getting into? I've been hearing things. I've been I've been wondering about things. I've been I've been uh, the Lord's been laying stuff in my spirit in my quiet time. That's like four of you. But like it's, 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 it's happened. Right. And and so we thought it was appropriate to address how we as a church are choosing in this season to move forward, to move the needle forward. We've talked about the fact that, like this graphic up here, God's ways don't always look like the world's ways. God's measures and God's expectations don't always look like the world's measures and the world's expectations. So his church's measures and expectations shouldn't look like the world's measures and expectations. Amen. Amen. We've talked about wanting in this season to move towards fullness and away from the things in our lives that keep us on empty. Last week. Pastor Deshaun broke it down and hurt my feelings. Rev and I feel like he was being too specific. He was like, point one and two, Rev was like, tell him to get out of my business. I was like, you tell him to get out of of your business. Then he said, point three, you know, the part where he said said that that we want to be moving like real fast, but that keeps us, that's like the speed of burnout. And then he said that, that, uh, uh, how'd you say it? The speed uh, of following Jesus is about three miles an hour because that's a walking pace. That was too specific, sir. That hurt my feelings. I was spiritually convicted by it. This week, we conclude our series Uh, by looking at a passage that comes to us in the Gospel of John. If you have your physical Bibles with you, I encourage you to turn there. Uh, If you don't, it'll be up on the screen. This is the Gospel of John. This is chapter 6. You're familiar with chapter 6. There's a whole lot of dope stuff that happens in chapter 6. And as much as I want to get into all of the things in John chapter 6, I don't know if you guys remember this, but once upon a time, we spent a whole series in this chapter. This morning, I want to do one of my favorite things to do, which is of the whole chapter of the whole section, I really, really, really want to narrow in and go deep on this tiny little part that the dangers of casual reading allow us to miss all too easily. This is John chapter 6. Jesus has just fed thousands and thousands of people miraculously. And this is what this little passage tucked in the middle of John chapter 6, tucked between miracles, has to say. It says, when the people, starting in verse 14, saw the sign that Jesus had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet, the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they, meaning the crowd, were about to come and take him, meaning Jesus, by force, 
to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Let me read verse 15 just one more time to let it set in. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain to be by himself. Back in uh, 2010, I had the privilege of being a part of uh, a church plant uh, downtown that was just getting started. And because it was just getting started, the, uh, the two lead pastors there, Jason and Brent, had nobody better to bring along with them than people like me and Deshaun uh, to, these, to these trips to South Carolina where, where our church was a part of this learning community uh, of churches from all over the country. And um, I looked forward to these trips Um, but at the time I was 20 years old. I mentioned my age because, um, because at that age, what I was looking forward to in these trips is a lot different than what I was, I would be looking forward to now, right? Now, as my wife has liked to point out to me over the past week or so, now I'm bougie, right? Now you say we going to South Carolina and I say we flying, right? We're going, we're not. We're not driving. That's for the birds, right? Um, but I looked forward to the travel while the people in, my, in, in the car that I was riding in, while Jason and Brent were looking forward to the spiritual edification of the trip, right? They were looking forward to, uh, to, to, to fellowship with other pastors and other people in ministry who was like in the grind with them. They were looking forward to to the testimonies of churches from all over the country. I was looking forward to the road trip. I was looking forward to the the greasy snacks on the road, like to to the camaraderie and the funny stories that we would tell in the car and late at night when you know you should be asleep. I was looking forward to that side right? I had, once upon a time, an adventurous heart. Like, let's, let's get on the highway, and then let's just see what happens, right? And I remember distinctly, on the way back from South Carolina, it was an emotionally and spiritually taxing trip. Jason's driving, Brent's in the passenger seat, and they threw me in the back. And as we're driving, I start out my window to see these signs, right? They're having a very serious conversation. I can't tell you what it was, because I I don't remember, but I'm sure it was very serious. And out the back of my window, I start to see these signs um, that draw my attention because they're big, right? They're the big billboards. They're bright. And it said, world famous. Whoa, world famous. It said, America's favorite place. It's like, America's favorite place. It said, a highway oasis. Oh my goodness. Said fireworks, food, fun. I like fireworks, food, and fun. And I'm being drawn in. And then and then the and then the signs get more specific. They start they start to like be a little punny, right? You never sausage a place. Like you never saw such a place. And there's a big sausage. Like they, they, they started to draw me in, and I'm like, what is this place? What is it called? And, and, and then there was a big guy in a sombrero that was like bigger than the billboard, and it said, south of the border. A couple of you have heard of it, because I heard you groan. I said, what is this place? So I was like, Jason, bro, 
we gotta go there. He's like, no, dude, we're going home. I'm like, no, we gotta go there. They have fireworks, they have food, they have fun. What else are we gonna do? What's the difference at this point between getting home at 8 p.m. and midnight at this point, right? I didn't have kids back then, so I didn't know that there's a very big difference. I'm like, come on, we gotta go, let's do it, bro. Bro, when else are we gonna do something like this, right? And Jason turns to Brent, looking for some help. Brent's like, I mean, I could eat. I'm like, let's do it! So we did it. We pull off the highway. We follow the signs to the highway oasis called South of the Border. And the whole time, Jason's like, you know this is just a dumpy truck stop, right? I'm like, no, it's a highway oasis. There's accommodations, there's dining, there's attractions. And we pull up south of the border with this big old sign and its cute little buildings. And you know what I found out? It's a dumpy truck stop. The food, the dining, the dining was a hot dog stand that wasn't open. The accommodations was a place to park your RV. A little, little lot. Wasn't even grass, right? Oh, and the attractions? The attractions were empty and had, looked like they hadn't been touched in over 100 years. It wasn't even a bathroom. It was really, it was really disappointing. I felt in that moment lied to. I felt, I felt duped. But most of all, I felt really annoyed having to listen to Jason for the next eight hours say, I told you so. You wasted my time. And him being right. That's the worst. I let worldly attraction, empty promises, and my old adventurous heart get the better of me. It led me astray. I was very much focused on the wrong thing. See, church, I believe that when we're trying real, real hard to follow Jesus, the enemy is trying real, real hard to get us off track. The enemy wants to put really, really big, flashy things in our paths to get us to blow off course, right? And we're all susceptible to some degree, although not all of us may get duped by punny highway signs like I did. There is something that falls in our path that allows us to take an alternative route. There's something that falls in our path that gets just enough attention when we're not focused that we think for just maybe a second we want to go there. But I hate to play spoiler, and I'm sorry if you're related to the people who do south of the border. I'm sure it's great now. This is like a long time ago or whatever, but it's never worth it. It's never worth it to pull off the route that God has you on and to check out what the world is trying to attract you to. It's never worth it. 
In John chapter 6, Jesus, when we get to this passage, has just performed one of the most famous miracles recorded in Scripture. Inevitably, it's possible that they're teaching it in Sunday school right now, right? It's a lesson that if you've been around church, you've heard since you were a kid. And if you haven't been around church, it's one that you're inevitably skeptical about. It's where Jesus feeds thousands and thousands of people with a kid's sack lunch. He takes a few pieces of fish and a few pieces of bread, tells the disciples, pass it out to the crowd that's hungry, and magically, miraculously, he's able to feed every last mouth to the point that there's leftovers. Then right after this passage, Jesus is about to do one of the other most famous miracles, which is walk on water. And when the crowds see what Jesus did, when the crowds see the way that he miraculously feeds all these people, they immediately recognize this miracle as, as being like Moses. They remember the stories because it's a predominantly Jewish crowd. They remember the stories passed on to them and revealed in the Old Testament scriptures about how Moses would call down manna, would call down food from heaven to feed the journeying Israelites. And they see the way that Jesus just conjured up food for those who journey to hear him teach, and they immediately make the association. They say in verse 14, this must be the prophet that we've been waiting for. This, this, this may just be, guys, the Messiah, the Savior, the one that we have been waiting on. You know what always drove me nuts about math class? is how they always made you show your work. I hated that. If I know the answer, just let me put the answer. You know what I'm saying? And that always bothered me. Like, if I can do the math in my head, let me, just, let me just write it down. I know there's four math teachers in here make, so mad at me. I'm sorry, but I thought it was dumb, right? This problem right here is like the opposite of that. This is like when you show all of your work and reasonably deduce the entire equation and then get the wrong solution. The disciples had put it together, or sorry, the crowd had put it together correctly. This was indeed the prophet. This was indeed the Christ. This was indeed the Messiah, the son of the living God. But their immediate decision was to read their societal standing into Jesus' divinity. See, they decide that they want to make Jesus king. And not king like we sing it in worship, where it's like king of everything. They wanted to make him king in the political sense. They immediately associate him with one who would be such a great political leader for them to get behind. And one who could ultimately lead them just as Moses did, from the political bondage and oppression that they as a people were experiencing. And I get that. 
I get how they got there. The only problem with that, it's not necessarily a bad conclusion. It's just that the only problem is that Jesus was focused on something a whole lot bigger than that. This leads me to my first of three points. You know how I'm rolling. It's three of them, and then I'm out your way. The first one I'm giving to you right now. You ready? Jesus doesn't want to be the leader of your movement. Jesus wants you to be a follower of his. See, too often we read our worldly situation into Jesus' divinity. In other words, we confuse our own agendas with the will of God. We like to pick a political cause. And then we try to make Jesus' character fit as the leader of that party. We, we set a financial goal for ourselves. And then we try to justify that as the way that we're accomplishing Christ's mandate to be generous. We follow our own desire for romantic, sexual relationship. And then we want to use Jesus' name to get us in or out of it as we please, as if he told us to be in that spot in the first place. I'm sorry to be specific, but the reality this morning is that Jesus doesn't want credit for any of that. Jesus doesn't want credit for the way that you're moving, right? Jesus does not want us to determine what we want and then go to him and ask him to lead us there. That's not the way this works. Jesus wants us to follow what he is already doing. <laughs> then ask how we can join the work of, reconcile all, of reconciling all things back to God. It's a difference. It's a difference. You see the difference, right? What are you mistaking what are you mistaking what you want for what God wants? Where have you made an assumption that your agenda matches the will of God? And I know what at least somebody in here is asking, how do I know? How do I Discern that. Let me give you real quick cheat code. Just one, real quick. Jesus is not going to tell you something that he hasn't already said. God is not going to give you a command or tell you something that isn't already recorded in Scripture. Right? So... For example, things God has said. You are made new. Things God has said. You are forgiven. Things God has said. 
When you come to him, your sins are as far from you as the east is from the west. So yes, you may continue to walk in the light as he is in the light. Things God hasn't said, get rich or die trying. That was 50. Where are you mistaking what you want for what God wants? Now, here's the thing. This isn't a new, this isn't a new problem. This isn't a new temptation that Jesus has just faced, right? This is actually a recurring temptation that comes up in Jesus's ministry time and time again. And it starts in Matthew chapter 4. Before Jesus even, even, even healed a single sick person, he goes into the wilderness to be alone with the Father for 40 days. And while he's there, it says Satan, Satan came and met him in the wilderness. Matthew chapter 4 tells us the story about how the devil took Jesus up to a really high mountain and told him to look out at all the kingdoms. And Satan says, if you bow down and worship me here, all of this that you see can be yours. Now, the implications that Jesus knows, right, is that that means I don't have to die. That means I don't have to suffer. That means I don't even got to go around and touch these dirty people. I can have it all right now if I just acknowledge Satan. Jesus' response is, be gone, Satan. For it is written that you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. The crowd in John chapter 6 is pumped. And in fairness, before we like take this out on them and their misguided expectations, what Jesus just did was dope. I mean, imagine. Imagine somebody walking with a brown bag in this room right now and everybody here is full and taking home leftovers and all we did was pull from that brown bag. That's wild. That's wild. That's incredible. I'd get carried away too, right? I'm excited. That's wonderful. But what gets me about this is that They didn't want to see it through. They wanted it to be done right there. They wanted to make Jesus king before he even did what he came there to do. They wanted, subconsciously, they wanted Jesus to not fulfill his mission. Because they wanted him to be king right there and right then. And what's crazy is that Jesus could have very easily just given into that. I mean, how many times do you or I give in to that? Jesus could have looked at the enamored crowd, at how impressed and excited they were about these miracles, and he could have just looked at this situation and been like, that seems to be good enough. Right? They like this. They like it here. Maybe I don't have to die after all. I mean, if this is all it takes to get them on my side, maybe, maybe the ability to heal 
here and there, maybe the ability to feed a lot of folks is just as good as the forgiveness of sins and resurrection of life. No. No, it's not. If the people would have just seen it through, if they would have followed him rather than trying to make him the leader of where they were trying to go, they would have witnessed something so much greater than what had already been done. This gets me to the second thing that I want us to take away this morning, which is don't let other people's measure of success distract you from the mission. Don't let what other people think is working or isn't take you away from what God has told you to do. Can I tell you a quick secret that the world doesn't want you to know? Don't nobody's opinion got anything to do with God's command on your life. I'm just putting it out there, right? And we constantly run this risk here, I think, of one of two problems, right? One of them is we in general, sometimes some of us, not all of us, but me for sure, love to settle for good enough. We love to stop when something is good enough. That's me in school, just to keep it all the way real, right? Give me the syllabus. Let me do some calculations on day two, and let me figure out the right amount of work for me to put in to get the result that is desired, and I'm going to get out your way, sir. Give me what is just good enough. I see it with my kids. Rachel told them yesterday, clean your room. We went up for bedtime last night. Guess what? There wasn't no clean rooms up there. Didn't find one. But they're like, what do you mean? I mean, it's pretty good. I put away my laundry. We love to settle for good enough. I'm not going to get too far on that because I'm going to talk more about settling for good enough in a couple months. The second problem, the second way we run a risk here is because we like the feeling that comes from worldly measure of success. And so we play into that because that gratification is immediate right? We love the feeling that comes with the worldly measure of success. Let me get specific. We love money, bro. We love the feeling when that check hits our bank account. Tell me you don't feel invincible on Friday morning when you see those green numbers, the only green numbers in your checking account. Hallelujah. Tell me all Friday you're not walking a little extra tall because you know, hey, 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 don't even worry about it. Ah, I got that. You say you guys trying to go? Hey, I'll buy the apps. Huh? Hey, 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 I'll put a little bit of gas in your tank, right? We love the feeling. We love the feeling. Look, 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 I know those bills is coming out in like two days, but let me, let me, let me, let me, you know, let me just treat myself a little bit first before I catch a vision for where this money actually goes on Tuesday, right? 
We love that feeling. And so it's real easy to be like, I mean, Third Street looks like it's doing well. I don't think I need to be that generous. Right? I took my friends out. Right? Distracts us from things the Lord has told us to do. Opportunities of generosity come up and we're like, well, I mean, I would. But I'm strapped. And the reality is you're only strapped because it's Wednesday, not Friday. We love the likes. Ooh, it got quiet. Say, he don't mean, he don't mean what I think he means, does it? He means I'm not gonna look at him right now. I'm not gonna look at him because I know he's talking about me. We love to see how many likes something we post can get. You know how I know? Because you got the notification set on your phone to notify you every time somebody likes something that you did. Not to be specific, right? We love the feeling when somebody approves of something that we've put out there, right? Because we know the pains and anxieties that went into us even having the confidence to put it out there in the first place. And sure, maybe the Lord is, 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 is calling you to grow in your confidence or, 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 or the boldness with which you speak and put things out there. But I'm positive he's not going to get, you're not going to get to the gates of heaven and he's going to be like, well, you only got 87 likes on that one. So it really wasn't that effective after all. But we love it. We get sucked into it. We love the affirmations that the world gives. Man, what you're doing, ah, it's crazy, bro. It's fire. Oh, when you said that one thing, ugh. Bro, I've been thinking about what you were saying the, all, all week. All week, man, it stuck with me. We love the affirmation. And so it's tempting to us to start to play to those. Well, what do I need to do to get that reaction? I noticed when I did it this way, it was this much affirmation. But when I did it this way, it came with this much affirmation. I think I'm going to do it that way. It's not just on an individual level. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but let's keep it all the way real. We see churches do it all the time. Man, people got really into that worship set. We should do it that way. I don't know. People got kind of tired by the end. Maybe we should shorten it a little bit. We love to cater to what gets a response from people. We love to cater to what brings positive affirmation. But the world's positive affirmation has nothing to do with what God has called you to do. I promise you, I can list for a really long time the things that God has asked Third Street to do, and I guarantee you a time limit on Sunday service isn't a part of any of it. As everybody checks their watch and realizes that the Browns game starts in 35 minutes. Allowing our focus to be pulled by these things is settling for good enough. Right? We'll never get the best of what God has to offer when we settle for good enough. You really want to praise and call down the blessings from heaven, but you don't want to stick around and see it through enough to actually get them. You want 
your word. You don't care about the neighborhood. You want so-and-so to give you a positive, a positive thumbs up, but you have no idea what God has in store for you. When we let ourselves get distracted by these things, and guys, it's so easy. We don't get to see the best of what God has to offer. How do you know? How do you know that if how do you, how do you know that if Jesus asked you to give a hundred percent of a paycheck, that he doesn't double the next one? That's not me theologically telling you to do that. I'm just saying, how do you know? Until you see it through. We want the best from God. We got to stop settling for good enough. And Jesus here models perfectly how we get the best. Because in the face of worldly affirmation, in between two of the most famous miracles of all time, during the most successful ministry in world history, Jesus took time to get away from all of that. And the other gospels tell us that what he was doing on that mountain was praying. He got away from the hype. He got away from the hustle. He got away from the attaboys. He got away from the growth. He got away from the clout to spend time with God. Jesus had a very specific mission. And what the people didn't realize, and sometimes what I think we get caught up in, is that the miracles of God weren't the mission. The miracles were the byproduct of Jesus' relationship with the Father. The miracles weren't the point. The relationship was. The ability to heal wasn't what Jesus was striving for. It's what just naturally happened when he was that united with the Father. And at some point, you would think that it would dawn on us that if in the middle of all the hype, Jesus himself took time to be away to just be in relationship with the Father, that at some point, if it was that important for Jesus of all people to do, maybe we'd figure out how to fit it into our schedules. See, the evil one never stops throwing things in our way to get us off course. But when we're one with the Father, he is faithful to do the work in us to make sure we make it through. And sometimes, yes, sometimes that means something supernatural acting upon something worldly through our hands, our words, or our actions. But the focal point, as modeled by Jesus, is not the work being done, but the relationship it flows out of. That's where I give you this third thing, and then I'm out your way. That's it. 
Stay in prayer. Well, that doesn't sound as good as the first two. Well, you're not, you're overthinking it. Stay in prayer. That's it. The only stop we needed to make on that road trip was for some gas, bro. We didn't need to go to south of the border. And we didn't need to go to cookout to try to make out for how bad south of the border was. We didn't need to do that. The only stop we needed to make was for gas. Prayer with God is what fuels the work ahead. Spending time with the Father is what fuels the work ahead. If Jesus, who was one with God, took time to get away, then why do we think we can go long periods of time without praying? We can't do it. And so we got to get into the habit. I would encourage you, when somebody brings to you a prayer request, guys, I love you. Those of you who know me real well know that I say I love you because I'm about to say something real hard. I love you. But if one of you look me in my face and say, I'm going to pray about that, I don't trust not a single person in here to actually pray about that later. Maybe Deshaun. Possibly. But that's it. No, not no, not you. I don't, right? I would love to see us getting into the habit of praying for people right there on the spot. Don't say, I'm going to pray about that, or I'm going to be in prayer for you. Pray for him right there. You don't got the words to say, thank God, Scripture tells us that the Spirit will do it for us. Thank God for the Spirit. Amen? Pray for people right there on the spot. Here's another one. Make space to listen. Maybe, maybe it's okay if it takes you a little bit longer to read that book that's not the Bible. Maybe it's okay if it takes you a little bit longer than, than all your friends to get through those podcast episodes. Maybe it's all right that you're still on season two of Stranger Things. I hope it's because you're making space to listen to God. Make the space. Just make the space. Put it in your calendar if that's what's helpful. Let me give you one more helpful habit that I want to see us get into. Let the negative triggers... Draw us into prayer. You know what I'm saying. Begin to identify the things, the tendencies that you have that take you into negative actions. Begin to identify them because when you can identify them and you see them come up, you're able to say, rather than go to my typical reaction, I'm going to step away and pray about this one. I'm going to step away and spend time with the Father. And at first, it'll be amazing to you how much time you suddenly have to pray. Right? When you let the negative triggers push you to prayer. And here's what happens when we get into these habits. I promise you, God is faithful to do things you may not even believe he would do for you yet. So church, in this next season, I invite you to join us in these ways. 
I invite you to join us by following Christ's movement. Not writing the goals or the aspirations that we have and making God fit those, but asking God, what is it that you would have us do? What are the things that you actually want for us? I'm asking you, God, where am I headed? Join us in not letting others' perception distract us. This has got to be a team effort because people's opinions are everywhere. People's opinions are as common as germs. They're everywhere. And any of us in a weak moment can be susceptible to that infection. It's got to take all of us to not let the world's perception and measures distract us as a community from what God has called us to do here. Lastly, in the spirit of being a team effort, stay in connection with the Father. I know for many of us, this requires a whole lot of grace from the Lord. But I promise you it's there. Keep the space open. Even if at first you don't feel like it's immediately edifying, keep the space open in your calendar. Keep following the promptings to pray. Turn down the music just a little bit. Resist the urge to be constantly stimulated. Spend time in prayer, hearing from the Father. Because the way God chooses to do his miraculous work is through his church. And the way the church hears what miraculous thing to do is by being in connection with the Father. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you, your vision is bigger than our vision. God, we acknowledge that your ways are greater than our ways. And we can acknowledge that the best way is the way of the kingdom that you are establishing, that you have established, that you will establish. So Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for the ways that we've let the things of this world distract us from your mission. We pray for forgiveness for the ways that we've pandered to the measures and affirmations of the world. Lord, we pray for forgiveness for the ways that we've lost direction. Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit that we would feel again the promptings. Lord, we ask that you would give us the courage and the strength to stay on path. Lord, I ask that you would give us the focus, as Paul would say, to keep our eyes on the things that are eternal, not carnal, not temporary. Lord, I pray 
that collectively we would be able to hold each other accountable to staying on the path into your kingdom. A path that inevitably, naturally sees us delivered from the presence of evil. Thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. All who believe say, bless up.